Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Phil, you know I'm a nightmare with emotions. Um, No, honestly, guys, like, thank you so much. Like, my wife said it perfectly. This Aria, it's been like an oasis for us. It's been a place of refreshment, of community, of family, and um, anytime we're back in Northern Ireland, we'll be here. Like, this is our church in NI. We wouldn't be anywhere else. Like Phil said, it's a connection for life. Like, I know as much as it's been a time for us, we feel like we've been spoiled being here. He was saying we get to do things. That's just an honor and a privilege. Like, it's been an absolute joy for us to be here and make some friends for life. And um, yeah, we know it's for, yeah, we'll be back, man. This isn't goodbye. It's see you later. You know what I'm saying? Mama would not have me not come and visit at least once. <laughs> now that she's got grandkids. So, um, so thank you so much, guys. Honestly, really appreciate everything. And um, it is a bit emotional, our last Sunday. But um, hey, let's see if we can get through this sermon. 30 minutes. Let me get her opened up here. We iPad. So I was saying to Phil there at the, st- <laughs> at the start, it was like, looks like half the church is in Benidorm. Um, it's July, and it's holiday season. I remember back when I used to work in trade, when it was a spark, you had to go in July, otherwise you got no holiday pay any other time. So if you're watching online from Benidorm, put the cocktail down, all right? No, you think it's communion, it's not, all right? After the word, you can go back to the pool. And um, who knows, R8 Benidorm, mate? I would require some pastoring. You'd... Uh, I think it'd be on about four easy jet flights a week if, if you were to go, <laughs> if you were to make that happen. But, um, but yeah, should we pray before we get into the word? Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing group of people, for your church, for this amazing community and everything you're doing here in R8 and Craig Avon and what we know is going to be beyond. Father, Lord, I pray for this morning that your word would go forth, Lord. I pray it would encourage people who are discouraged break chains off people that feel like they're bound. And Father, if someone doesn't know you, I pray that they come to know you, Father. So Lord, help me get out of the way. Let you come, Father. Because it's only when you rock up, Lord. It's only when you come, Holy Spirit, that lives are changed, that people's eyes are fixed on you. And I pray people walk out of here today with their eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome, guys. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. You know me, I love to start with a wee question. Let me ask a question to R8 Church this morning. Has anyone ever in here felt like something has owned you? Like, you know, something just had control over you. It owned you. Like, you were thinking about it in the morning. You were thinking about it in the night. It can sometimes be a good thing or a not so good thing. I know I felt it. Anyone with me? We survey. Yep, we're there. When things own you. I know, guys, and maybe some of you can relate to me. When I get hungry, my stomach owns me, man. Owns me. Like, I mean, it's, it's calling the shots. Like, when I'm hungry, it's like, right, what are, what are we eating? What's, what's, what's for dinner, babe? Where are we going? Me and my wife have actually realized it's better not to have a deep discussion or, uh, you know, a resolving discussion when one person's hungry. If both people are hungry, you're better just not to speak. You're better just not to go, right, babe, let's just get some food. And it's almost like, as soon as you eat, everything's better, isn't it? You're like, ah, never mind. We'll be all right. Let's crack on. Um, and I mean, it's, no, it's, it's our number one survival drive, isn't it? Our hunger drive. 
And uh, that's why we do things like fasting as, as a church and all that, because we love to bring that into control. But it's so funny, I, even when I'm, when I'm craving something, so like we live in Lisbon, so it's not exactly food capital or like culture capital of the world, you know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not spoiled for choice. Like um, you got your Chinese pizza and chippy and that's about it. So I'm just off the M1, so my wife will tell you, like I'll find myself horsing it down the M1 to Belfast to get something nice to eat. More often than not, for two places, Nando's or Bajum, you will find me on the M1. Last night, my wife was like, what are we going to have for dinner? And I was like, it's got to be Mexican. Can be nothing else. We're going to Texas, Tex-Mex. May as well get warmed up. Sure enough, there's me on the M1 in Nissan Qashqai flying down to pick up a Bajum for dinner. Because when you have it in your head, when you have it in your mind, nothing else will do. It's calling the shots. When I wake up in the morning, coffee calls the shots. It controls me. I've heard many preachers say the Holy Spirit doesn't move till the coffee kicks in. I don't move till the coffee kicks in. This morning I find myself just walking, not like I take Sophia in the morning, so I walk down and she's all excited for the day. I'm straight to the Nespresso machine, man, pumping that thing. And then the coffee kicks in and I'm ready to go. Things that control us. But on a more serious note, have you ever felt like some things control you? Have you ever felt trapped, dependent on things? Maybe it's people's opinions or likes on Instagram. That controls me. I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I can relate to that. I'm a peop- I'm a, naturally, I'm a people pleaser. And sometimes I can let people's opinions control me. Maybe it's a job or a career path that you think is going to fulfill you. That's a good thing. Like I said at the start, sometimes these are good things, but very often it can be the thing that we give all our energy to. It dictates the decisions I make. It dictates how I interact with people. It dictates how I'm going to feel about myself. Maybe it's a relationship you know isn't fruitful. But you're like, you know what? It just controls me. I just need that affirmation. I can't bear the thought of not being in it. Whenever you know maybe it's not a healthy relationship, maybe it's anxiety about the future, potential outcomes of situations. I'm telling you, man, like I can relate to this. There's times I let my anxiety control me. Like I can't think past my anxiety. I'm like, oh, what if that happens? What if this happens? So I forgot to ask, is there a wee bottle of water? Only, only if there's one available. I know, you know me, I'm going to need it. I talk too much, get dry mouth. <laughs> Forgot to ask. And the list goes on, and really there's many things that could own us and ultimately take us captive. Things that would grab our attention, grab our hearts, and take us captive. There's many things that would do that. Before Christ, for me, it was travel, party, and experiences. Before I knew God, I was like, hey, if I can just experience the world enough, if I can party enough, if I can travel enough, if I can take in enough of what the world has to offer, life will be okay. I remember someone asked me when I was a teenager, what, what career do you want? And literally I answered, this was my aspirations in life. I just want to make enough money to get absolutely blocked every weekend and just have a good time. That's all that mattered to me. Because I was like, because that's all that's important. And I followed that rabbit hole down to the depths and I'm telling you, I ended up just rock bottom, depressed, not happy with life. But it owned me for so many years that this is how I need to live my life. 
And to be honest, guys, that's what I want to get into today. I want to look at some of the ways in which we hand ourselves over to certain ways of living, certain concepts, idols, and ultimately sin, which take us captive and ultimately leave us feeling owned. But I also want to dive into the truth and understand who we really belong to and what the Word of God has to say about the freedom that's available to us in Christ. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is You Don't Own Me. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't own me. If it's your spouse, they kind of do. Um, but hey, we can dream. I'm joking. Um, cheers, bro. Cheers, man. And I want to turn to the book of Hosea as we dive into this. I've been meaning to write this message for years, actually. And it's funny, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, get that message written. It's for Sunday. Some theologians would say that Hosea is the best illustration of God's love and what Jesus done for us. When we dive into it, some theologians would say the storyline, the context, how it all adds up, it's one of the best books for understanding what Jesus done for us. So let me give you the context before we dive in. Some people reckon that the story, there's two parts to Hosea. A lot of his prophetic wording towards Israel, him passing on what God had told him about why they're in the situation they're in, about how they got there. But there's also another part that actually talks about Hosea's life. Now, some theologians would say, you know, it's an allegory. Allegory? How do you say that? Allegory? Allegory. That's it. I knew that. It's an allegory or an analogy to just help better identify the text. But most theologians would say, nah, it probably definitely happened. God asked them to do it. And it's crazy because we're going to dive into it. Like, because Hosea is preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel at this point had broken up. You had the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And what was happening is he's really in the last days of Israel being a kingdom. They'd had king after king that had led them into things that were unfruitful, had led them away from God, had got them to run after things that weren't godly, worship other gods. And Hosea's prophesying in these last days, he's speaking into the context of what's happening. And it's pretty full on what God has told him. And then God asked him to do something in his own life to help illustrate how God's feeling about the situation. And that's where we're going to pick up in Hosea 1. Are you ready? So I'm going to read. I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me. Hosea 1 verses 2 to 3 say this. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. Can we just stop for a second? Do you ever read over like some things in the Bible and you're like, wait, hang on, whoa, what? Go and marry a prostitute. Hang on, this is a man of God. This is a prophet. A man set apart to speak the word. And God's saying, it's almost, I love when it says, when the Lord first started speaking to Hosea. All right, so we're just, just getting to know you here, Hosea. I'm the Lord. Go marry a prostitute. Whoa. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. My gosh. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Crazy what we need to think there. Let's get a New Testament, Romans perspective. Dive into Romans. It'll talk that we are the spiritual Israel now, the church. We are now the extended family of Israel as the church of Jesus Christ. Crazy to think 
that whenever we turn and run to other things instead of running to God, that the analogy Hosea is given, it's like we're running into prostitution. Crazy. Crazy. You can tell why it took me so long to write this message. <laughs> so Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. We then go on, she has three children, and God gives them specific names that illustrate what's going on at the minute, the message he's trying to send to Israel. And then we pick up in verse 10. This is the good part. It says, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at that place where they were told, You're not by people, it will be said, You're children of the living God. You can read that exact verse in Romans 9. When Paul is making the claim that now all of us, people who weren't originally part of the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, can now become children of the living God. Paul quotes this very scripture from Hosea. And then he says, Then people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves, and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, whenever God will plant his people in the land. Incredible. And then Hosea goes on to start prophesying. He starts talking about how God felt when Israel allowed other things to own them, allowed other things to control them. God starts making the analogy that we hear where he sees Israel as his wife, similar to how we see he sees the church as his bride. He says things like, she's not my wife and I'm not her husband. And then it says here in, uh, in verse 2 on down to verse 5, it talks about Israel going after other lovers who they thought would give them their food and their water. And then it talks about how when they've reached their wit's end, in verses 7 it says that, I will then go back to my husband, for I was better off then than what I am now. She had not acknowledged that God was the one that actually gave her her grain, her wine, and her oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And then we read on about how God, even though all that happens, says, regardless of what you've done, Israel, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to woo you back. And God talks about, I'm going to allure her. I'm going to take her into the wilderness. I'm going to speak tender, tenderly to her. I'm going to give them back their vineyards. They will respond like they did in their youth. You will call me my husband. How beautiful is this? This is like beautiful biblical languages. God then says to Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. How beautiful is that? I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And then it finishes in Hosea 2, verses 23, by saying, I will say to those called not my people that you are my people, and they will say you are my God. Talking about us in this room today. We read on in Hosea 3, and again, we're back into Hosea's life again. And this is what God asked him to do. He says, after his wife went away, left him, just like Israel did to God, God sent Hosea to do this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I had to Google that. I had to Google. I'm like, the sacred raisin cakes? I love a good raisin croissant. Like, can I still have that? And when I looked it up, really what they were saying is that the Israelites were putting all this effort into baking these beautiful cakes and they were going and presenting them as a sacrifice to a false god. So God was going, you love this procedure of putting love and effort into making these beautiful cakes and not bringing them to me, bringing them to another god. 
And then check this out. Hosea, Hosea then goes and has to find his wife, who ultimately has left, his, left their household, sold herself into slavery, and he has to buy her back. Check this out. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leth of barley. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice, sacred stones, without effort or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last days. So Hosea, go marry a prostitute. She's going to conceive kids, probably in her prostitution. She's going to leave you and run out and sleep with multiple other men, ultimately to the point to where she gets herself sold as a slave, owned by someone else. And guess what, Hosea? You're going to go and buy her back. You're going to go and buy back what was rightfully yours. What's God saying? That I do the same for Israel? New Testament perspective, I do the same for my church. We were always the Lord's, but we run after other things. We sell ourselves to other things. And with Jesus, the Lord bought back, redeemed back what was in slavery, what was rightfully his. That's crazy. That is crazy. That is why that illustration of Hosea is so powerful. That's why it's a hard read. That's why when I started reading it out, everyone went, Argh. because it's reality. And the reality of the story is, church, that we are Gomer. In our nature, we want to run to other things. We want to run from God and we want to sell ourselves to other things. The book of Hosea, like we just said, references that as a wife committing adultery on her husband. It says in the Bible that the church is the bride of Christ. That when we run and trust and worship and ultimately give other things control over us, that that's what it feels like to the Lord. That's the comparison that God is making with Israel being unfaithful and worshiping other gods. But I know what some of you guys are thinking in the room. Come on, Ryan, it's not that bad today. Wise up. They were doing a madness back then. I'm in church. What more do you want? Surely their worship of Baal, whatever that looked like, was way more intense than anything we could do today. And when you look it up, it is pretty intense. But the reality is, not really. Sorry. Because you ever read and look at whenever they worship the golden calf, or they worship something made of wood, and you think, Flip, were they stupid? Did they not look and realize it? Old Johnny down the street made that in his wee hut. And now they're bowing to it. Come on. I would never do that. Of course they knew. But it wasn't necessarily the thing that they were worshipping. It was what was attached and the lifestyle to it. See, Baal, who they were worshipping like crazy, was a fertility god. It was a god that promised wealth. It was a god that promised fertility, both in your land and also with your family. And of course, with fertility came all sorts of mad acts that they would have to perform in the temple. It wasn't just worshiping the false god. It was the lifestyle that was attached to it. The things that they said it would bring you. The, pleasure, the so-called pleasures that they thought they would obtain by worshiping that god. 
I'm telling you, whilst we might not get out we golden idols or wooden calves or whatever, we still can chase after things that we think is going to fulfill us more than what God would. We still can run after lifestyles attached to certain ways of living, even without subconsciously. And it's the exact same. Whilst the culture of the time was like, hey, it's cool to worship Baal. It's cool to do all this. Look what you get to do when you worship Baal. There's plenty of things today going, hey, it's awesome to be able to do this. Look at what you get to do when you do this. Come on, just don't worry. Because here's the thing about the Israelites. God was still very much in their life. Oh yeah, they still went to the temple. They still don't. They still, God was still the God of their nation. They just had a heap of other stuff they liked to do as well. And that's what God was saying. That is like adultery to me. You're coming back to me saying, I love you. You're my husband. And you're running off doing all this on the side. And if we're not careful, I don't know about you. I want to learn from Hosea. I want to learn because I don't want my Lord, my Savior feeling that way. I want to learn so I can live better, so I can worship God better, so I can give him more glory. And that's exactly what I want to do today. I want to jump in. I want to observe from Hosea three things that was tempting and that the Israelites stepped into and that can be tempting for us. And then I want to talk about what Jesus does at the end to make it all good. He's up for that? Awesome. So three things in Hosea that the Israelites done, and if we're not careful, we can do in our day-to-day life as well. And we're looking at Gomer and Israel, as we just read in the analogy, and we're thinking about, all right, Lord, if we're spiritual Israel, if we're your family, if we're your kids, if we're your people, if we're the bride of Christ, how, could, how do I make sure that I would not be tempted or slip into the same thing? That's what we're thinking about today. And point number one that Gomer and Israel done was they sold themselves to the quickest bidder. Sold themselves, not to the highest bidder, to the quickest bidder. Ultimately, it was trust issues. I was talking about food earlier. Who knows when you're starving, you'll settle for anything. Literally, yesterday was a bad day, all right? There was um, Mexican in the evening, McDonald's for lunch. And we're doing a lot of packing and stuff, getting everything ready, as you can imagine. And uh, it was like three o'clock, and, and Carmen was like, hey, go out, and, uh, go out and get some lunch. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got this. And I got a couple of golden arches, you know. We McDonald's hut just around the corner. Drive past it every time. I'm like praying. <laughs> Lord, no. Go to Marks and Spencer's, get a salad. Um, yesterday wasn't one of those days, straight in, and I'm the sort of guy when I'm like, well, if I'm going to go in, I may as well go all in, right? So I'm the sort of guy I'll rock up to McDonald's, like, cashier, and be like, all right, let's do this thing, you ready? Got your notepad? Right, get typing, cheese bites, two cheeseburgers, chicken legend, Big Mac, boom, boom, boom. I'll be like, let's just, let's just fill that bag up, baby, let's go. And I'll be... You know, the point sometimes maybe the cashier's like, you all right, son? Like, do you need, I need to call your GP here. You know, you overorder, you, you indulge, and, um, and you end up feeling worse after, don't you? Every time I have McDonald's or anything like that, every time I just go to the quickest thing that's available, I'm like, there was a much more nourishing, fulfilling option if I just waited a wee bit. If I just actually was a wee bit more patient, was willing to take the time and cook something. The reality is, Gomer and Israel wanted the instant. They didn't want to wait and trust that God was better. They chose instant gratification rather than trust that what God had was better. And the reality is, we can do the same. We read earlier that 
God said, like, you went to who you thought would give you your wine, your grain, and your food. You went to this other fertility, fake God that promised all this now. Whenever you didn't understand the promises that I promised you long ago, that I make it rain, all right? I control the crops. I make it happen, and if it's not for me, you don't get no food, So you went for the instant something that was handy rather than trusting the promise. It's always been God. We rush into things that we think will give us our food. Sometimes it's career worship. It's person worship. It's popularity worship. It's status worship. Like we talked about earlier, we can even worship our doubts. Worship, the biblical meaning of worship, just meaning that we attribute reverent honor and homage to something. We come to something in reverence and we go, you're amazing. You're the best thing. You'll give me what I need. I'm going to give you my focus, my love. And the reality is, if we're not careful, especially in times of pain, we can sell ourselves to the quickest bidder. What's out there that can, that can give me a bit, of, a bit of comfort right now? What's out there that can give me a bit of satisfaction right now instead of trusting that our Lord God is our true source of comfort without him? We just end up like Gomer. We end up frustrated. We end up enslaved. We end up in pain. Point number two, we cheapen ourselves. Israel and Gomer cheapened themselves. It was worth issues they were dealing with. When I was in London, I had the amazing privilege to work with a lot of people who were addicts. It was an amazing organization in East London, and me and some of the guys at the church I was a part of, we would go and not from a professional perspective, but a pastoral perspective. We would, you know, preach and kind of encourage them around the Bible. It was, it was awesome. I'm still in contact with the guys there now. They do amazing work. It was called Believers in Recovery. And they set it up for a reason. The main reason it was was because a lot of addicts didn't feel worthy enough to go to church. They'd encountered God maybe in like AA or, or whatever they were in. They'd encountered God, but they just did not have the courage to walk into church. And the main response that my friend told me was they would always say they didn't feel worth, they were worthy. They didn't feel, they felt they would be judged because of their past. They didn't feel like they had enough worth to enter the building. So a bunch of guys got together and created this kind of halfway house. It's kind of like church, kind of like church step one, you know, like come hang out. It's all your sort of people. It's awesome. And it's going to be super relaxed. And it was honestly one of the biggest privileges of doing ministry in London was to go there and catch up with those guys and so into them. I absolutely loved it. Made a couple of really good friends out of it. And one of my, friend, one of my friends, he's, he's awesome. I'll not say his name, but he was on a massive journey and he was engaged, engaged. He's married now, but at this point he was engaged and he had a massive slip up in his journey. And his wife drove him to church and the exact same thing happened. He, he just sat in the car outside and he was like, I cannot go into that building. I cannot go in and be around the people of God. I cannot go in there. That's why I begged with me and some of the other staff, would you go out and would you just get him in? And we just went out, we're like, bro, you're loved, you're worth it. Because of what God done, you need to get in there. He loves you, you're meant to be in this family. And that's what can happen in life sometimes. Really, a lot of, a lot of people who step into addiction, that's kind of what you do sometimes. You, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go and choose this. This cheap substitute. This thing that I think will just, Give me a bit of something in the moment. 
And very often you do that enough over time and you end up in a situation like a lot of these guys I was chatting about were in. But guys like that, we need to, guys and girls like that, we need to constantly remind them of their worth in Christ. You're amazing. You're just like us. God paid the price for all of us. We're all in the same boat. Come on, we love you. You're part of this family. But the reality with Gomer and Israel is that's what they'd done. They chose substitutes. And over time, they cheapened themselves. They forgot what they were worth. Gomer was married to a man of God. <laughs> she was a wife, which back in the day was a thing of status, believe it or not. That brought her security and status, but she didn't know her worth because of years of thinking a certain way, and the same can go for us. Israel had had king after king after king after king that had cheapened their value. Instead of reminding them that they were sons and daughters, Instead of reminding them that they were part of the family of God, they had kings that had led them astray and be like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And so after years, we had a nation that didn't truly know their worth. And sometimes when it's ingrained in us, we need to let God remind us, but it can only come from repentance, devotion, and turning to him. Like we read in Hosea 2, God began alluring, bringing them back into the family getting them out of the car outside church and saying, hey, I love you. Come, I know what you've done, but come back in. There's a place for you. You're worth more than the price tag you have put in yourself or someone else has put on you. Point number three, you ready? We forget whose we are, identity issues. We forget whose we are. Identity is a powerful thing. The identity that you associate yourself to will have massive consequences on your life. How you live, what you interact with, how you portray other people. I've shared this story before, but remember before I went away traveling, my mom gave me like a load of family photos that I still have in my wallet. And I know I can have them on my phone now, but I just like the sentiment. She was how long ago I went traveling before camera phones. Um, or maybe they were right, but they were just atrocious, like four pixels. Um, Mum gave me the photos. It was like photos of me and family and my grandparents and all as a kid. To, and her whole thing was like, you know, you can take them out and you can look at your photos, you know, when you're traveling and you can remember who you are. You can remember the family you're a part of. And I want to tell you, I pull those photos out constantly. Because when I was away and I was unsure and I was trying to form who I was, to refer back to stability, identity, things that I knew about my family, give me so much hope give me so much structure of how I was engaging in the world. Because see, when you're confused and you don't know your identity, you'll attach yourself to anything that feels right in the moment to claim identity. That's why it's so important for young people to have role models. That's why what our youth, our youth workers are doing here in church is amazing. I know a lot of people come from good households, and that's awesome, but some people, they need desperately lose role models, not just in the household, but also outside of because ultimately Israel was God's possession. Gomer was Hosea's wife. We, as the church of Jesus, belong to him. We are God's. Identity brings clarity and protection, and it puts us at ease. When we truly understand that we're Christ's possession, that we're part of his bride, it will change how we see ourselves in the world. Jesus literally said, they are mine. And this brings me to the big point, the point I'm trying to get across. 
is that Hosea's redemption of Gomer was like Jesus' redemption of us. We've probably all sung that before, Jesus, my redemption. We've probably read it. We've probably heard preachers talk about it. The term redemption comes from the root word redeem. Like you redeem a ticket, you redeem a lottery ticket, you redeem a coupon. You take what you're entitled to by presenting what's required. Redemption is a marketplace analogy. It comes actually from the slave market back in biblical times. And what Hosea done was his wife had found herself, literally, she'd cheapened herself, she'd sold herself over, she'd forgot who she was. Oh, sorry, the band, you can come join me when you're ready. And she'd find herself enslaved. Remember, God's telling this illustration to talk about what he's going to do for Israel and ultimately what he done with Jesus through us. Picture that scene, though. Picture a man walking through a town trying to find his own wife (laughs) and literally ending up in a slave market and seeing his possession, his wife, with a price tag around her throat, hanging. This is how much it costs. Very often, slaves were stripped, degraded, dirty, sitting there. You imagine Hosea doing that walk finding that out. God had already told him, you're going to buy her back. You're going to buy her back. And ultimately, what Hosea done was, how much? And the guy would have been sitting there going, probably would have knew. (laughs) How much for what's already yours? You joking? You want to buy this back? You want to buy back after everything she's done to you? Look at what you want to purchase back. How much? Well, it's 30 shekels, which Hosea paid 15, 15 in currency, another 15 in grain and food. I'm buying her back. Now picture Jesus on the cross with us, price tag on us, created for him, created for relationship with him, created for his glory, created in his image, his beautiful bride, his sons and daughters, his church, sold ourselves over to something else, chose another way of living. And Jesus does the walk, goes there, mine. How much? It's going to cost you your life. I give my life for my people for my bride, for my church. I'll pay for what was already mine. So next time you sing, Jesus, my redemption, or you read it, or you're encouraged by a preacher by it, I don't know if you come from a non-Christian background, or this is even if you grew up in church, this is so applicable. I love thinking about the times that you were enslaved I love going back and thinking, I woke up every morning and something owned me. A way of living owned me. I had to, I was enslaved by it. It dictated how I moved. It dictated how I planned my future. It dictated how I interacted with people. I had a price tag on me. And Jesus went, 
that's mine. I have paid for him. I have paid for her. I have paid for them. And I don't know about you, but I remember accepting that redemption, the freedom. I no longer have to be owned by that. Jesus owns me now. The reality is on the journey, we slip off, we slip off, we slip off. I don't know where you're at today, church, if you feel like something's owning you. You've kind of went off piece a wee bit, that you're over here. Jesus' redemption is right here. All you have to remember is that he looks at you and he says, they are mine. Every time we sell ourselves, cheapen our worth, or forget who we are, remember that scene that Jesus paid for us, he saved us so we can trust him to finish the work. And he didn't just pay, but he paid the highest price because he's seen that his church was worth it because he loves us and he did it primarily because we belong to him. The only person that can put the price tag back on your neck, that can put the shackles back on your wrists and feet is you. No one gets to look at the creator of the universe and say, no, I own them. It says that we are now sealed on our wrists and our foreheads spiritually with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you feel like you've handed yourself fully over to something, Jesus gets to go, no, you don't own them, I own them, they are mine. Look, I have sealed them with my spirit. So this morning, guys, it's a simple gospel redemption message. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.